Well, good morning. What a wonderful morning we've already enjoyed together. We are grateful for Vacation Bible School, grateful for our kids who have already shared with us, and grateful for all those volunteers who are helping. Uh, the offering plates are still up here. I wonder if we should pass them and take up cell phones so you're not checking the Southern Miss score. <laughs> We're not going to pass them, but... Uh, we are going to dig in to God's Word together. I'm going to allow our kids, Children's Church Age, to be dismissed to Children's Church at this time. And I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 25. And I want to say a special welcome to Matthew and Ashley Bowden. Matthew pastors in Rome, Georgia. He's on his way to New Orleans for the convention. And they stopped in here to worship with us. Always great to have another pastor and wife here. We're grateful y'all are worshiping with us today, Matthew and Ashley. Well, we're going to look at Psalm 25, and you say, well, Psalm 25 is not the Gospel of John. You're right. We are taking a break from going through the Gospel of John uh, verse by verse, as we've been doing. But this past week, we've had the joy of, as you've heard, hosting VBS, lots of kids, lots of wonderful volunteers, and Thank you, church, for having an all-hands-on-deck type mentality with Vacation Bible School and, and not just showing up and begrudgingly serving, but serving joyfully. It has been a blessing to be here this week and just watch our church come together and serve. Thank you for that. Well, I was intrigued by the theme verse that um, I think we've already heard this morning from Psalm chapter 25, verse 4. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. And this should be the desire of every Christ follower's heart. But I was also just interested in the broader context of Psalm 25. What, what is the message of the psalm? What is going on in the writer's world? And how does that psalm apply to us today? And, and here's the theme. The one who follows Jesus needs him to lead in every situation of life. That's real simple, but it's also real practical. This is rubber meets the road Christianity. The one who follows Jesus needs him to lead in every situation of life. Well, let's look at Psalm 25 together. If you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, and we're going to read all 22 verses together. David wrote, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord. And, re and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? 
Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. Father, we recognize the very practical need for your guidance, both in Psalm 25 and David's life here, but also in our lives. Lord, we don't have the wisdom. We need yours. We don't have the strength. We need yours. And Lord, I pray for every follower of Jesus in this room that we would know how to take your word and apply it to the specific situations in our lives. And God, that we would live according to the power of Jesus, according to the ways of Jesus, to make Jesus known, to exalt or to exalt him, exalt in him. Father, I pray for those who may not have yet come to saving faith in Christ, you would turn their hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We are not told the specific life situation that David is going through in this psalm. Now, there are other psalms where we are. In Psalm 57, the heading in my Bible, when he, when David fled from Saul in the cave. In Psalm 54, when David's location was revealed to Saul by the Ziphites. My discipleship group is reading through the Bible chronologically. And it's helped by seeing the event, the narrative as it was taking place in somewhere like 1 Samuel. And then turn over in the Psalms where David wrote about and see him pour out his heart to God about that specific situation he's in. Like when he is in the cave. I think it better helps us understand why he wrote as he did. But Psalm 25 gives no specific about David's current situation. And I don't think that's accidental. I think it's purposeful. It's general nature, I think, opens up many possibilities and also allows us to apply it to many situations in our own lives. What will life be like for the one who follows the Lord? And this psalm describes following God in difficult seasons and seeking to live for Him in a world that's often opposed to God and the things of God. So how do we trust the Lord when we have enemies? When we experience affliction? When we're lonely? When we're desperate for the Lord to deliver? Psalm 25 speaks to those situations. We should be grateful that we have Psalm 25 as part of our Bible's songbook. Now this psalm is in the form of an acrostic. And what that really means is there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And I think for the most part, 
we've got in these 22 verses, the next verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You said, I, I don't really care about poetry. You know, why are you telling us this? Well, I think this is poetry with a purpose. I think one of the reasons that the, the writers wrote in that way was to aid in remembering what's in the psalm. And boy, do we do well to remember what God is writing to us in this psalm. And specifically, as believers, what is our main charge? What is the main thing what we are to do? And we are to trust the Lord. And we see out of the gate, David is confessing his trust in the Lord. He says in the first verse, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, second verse, in you I trust. Now, I don't want you to see trust as generic. I know in our, our Christian language, we throw around the word trust a lot, and we should, but David isn't just giving lip service to trusting God. I think he's saying, God, you're, you're my only hope. I've got enemies. I've got affliction. And God, if I don't trust you, I'm done for. So this is a, a reliance. And, and you think about, we all in our relationship have different levels of trust, maybe with different people. We trust some people more than others. Um, maybe, like me, you've watched movies where maybe two of the main characters who didn't really know each other beforehand, they're thrown into a crisis type of situation. And one of them starts doing something that, not only doesn't look helpful, but looks like the opposite of what would help in this situation. And maybe we in the audience have um, information that shows what he's doing is right, but the other character doesn't have that. And the one character might look at the other character and say something like, you've got to trust me. And really, in that situation... There's no basis for trust. Why? Because we trust based on someone's character. If someone has trustworthy character, we trust them. If you don't know that person's character, you don't trust them. Well, we trust God based on his character. The psalmist is telling us the good character, the trustworthy nature of our God. Let's just see this in a few places. In verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse 15, he will pluck my feet out of the net. Believer, we can trust God because of who the Bible reveals him to be. But maybe what's one of our obstacles in trusting God? And I think probably all of us can recognize that one of our obstacles is we like to trust ourselves. And self-trust is often in contrast with trusting in God. It, actually, it's always in contrast. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says, and this is repeated two chapters later, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I mean, in a self-promoting culture, in a self-focused culture, we're told, trust self, live 
for self. Please self. Because it seems like that's the way to life. And what this proverb shows us is that there's some ways that seem right to us. But the end of those is death. So stop trusting yourself, your ability, your works. And let's put our trust in God, the only one who is ultimately trustworthy. And that's the way to life. The way to life is trust the Lord. Well, then how do those who trust the Lord live in a world that's often opposed to Him? You may say, well, why ask that question? Well, as I mentioned earlier, David's got some enemies in this psalm. You see in verse 2, let not my enemies exult over me. Well, they didn't go away. They show back up in verse 19. Consider how many are my foes. Here's the reality, folks. The people of God often find themselves as enemies to those who are going to live for the ways of this world. The world makes us its enemies. So how are we going to live in a world where God's ways conflict with the ways of this world? Here's how we live. We trust the Lord. And we seek His guidance. So folks, I think if you're saying, well, there's a lot in this psalm. We see, wait for the Lord. We see God's character. We see David's afflictions. What, what is the main thing David is doing in this psalm? What is he seeking from the Lord? So here's the main thing I think David is seeking. The main thing is God guide me. God lead me. God help me know how to live according to your ways. God help me to live according to your truth. God help me walk in your paths. Now, I just want you to see some of this just in some things of uh, or some of the verses, and I've tried to underline them and put them together just to see how often ways and paths and truth come in here. So let's just see it. It'll be up on the screen for you. Verse 4, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. 8b, he instructs sinners in the way. 9b, he teaches the humble. His way. Verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse 12. Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. When the Bible repeats things over and over in the same psalm, we're, we're trying to get a message here. David yearns to walk in God's ways. And he's surrounded often by people who don't like that. Who don't want to do that. Now, David is not unfamiliar with God's Word. David knows God's Word. So what is he seeking here by wanting to live according to God's ways and paths? I think he wants to take God's Word and apply it to the specific life situation that he is in. And folks, that's wisdom. God, I know your Word. How do I live it out? At work, in my family, in my places of play. God, show me your ways when I go to the Little League field. God, show me your ways when I show up at work today and, and, and they don't hold to my Christian beliefs. So we need a psalm like this because we don't get specific commands for every life situation. 
in which we find ourselves in. The Bible doesn't tell us everything in every situation, but the Bible tells us we can seek God's Word and seek His Spirit to help us live out His ways in the world that we find ourselves in. Well, how do we know the Lord's ways? Our family watches uh, some shows. One of the shows we watch is The Mandalorian. It's in the uh, Star Wars universe. And if you've watched that show, uh, you haven't, I'll try to catch you up to speed. But the Mandalorians have a very specific code they live by. If you watch the show, you'll hear them say often, this is the way. This is the way. Now, we're not really, I don't think we're told where their code is written down. But it's a very specific code that they want to live by. This is the way. All right, well, if that's Mandalorians in a fictional universe, what about for us? What, what is the way for us? Well, folks, we always preach Christ. Even when we're in Psalm 25, we are preaching Jesus. So John 14, 6, Jesus said, what did he say? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the better we know Jesus, the more we know his word, the more we're going to know how to follow God's ways in this world that's often opposed to God. Like this quote from J. Josh Smith and Daniel Aiken. One of the questions that plagues Christians the most is, how can I discern the will of God? Psalm 25 reminds us that God's will is not a place. God's will is a person. Follow Jesus, love Jesus, seek to live according to his plan. And it's neat to see as you, as you kind of follow this psalm, as David is seeking the Lord's ways, David is so remorseful over his sin. If you read this psalm several times, I think you're going to be struck by David's remorse over his sin. He repents of these times that he has strayed from God's ways in order to follow God's ways better in the present. In this, he asked God to remember some things, and he asked God not to remember or to remember not something. You see there in verses 6 and 7, remember mercy, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Now, it seems that David is older here, and he looks back on his life and, and sins even from his younger days. He just hates them. He doesn't want to do that anymore. He no longer wants to walk in those ways. So he asked God to remember mercy, remember not sins and transgressions. Now, to ask God re to remember doesn't imply that God has forgotten anything. Now, for me, I can forget. I can forget a lot. I can re forget to respond to a person's text message. I, I put a lot of things in my calendar, some appointments and those sorts of things, and have alerts, usually two alerts, to remind me so that I don't forget because I'm so prone to forget. Now, David does not think God is like that, that God is going to forget things. Instead, to remember is to ask God to act. By saying remember, he's asking God to act. And David is asking God, 
Act in a merciful way, God. Don't act in a way of judgment. Now, we may want to say, well, how could David ask that? And in verse 7, he asks, according to your steadfast love, remember me. So if we're sinners, and we saw David as a sinner, he's remorseful, he's repentant over sin. How can God, who is holy, who is just, who is righteous, act mercifully rather than in judgment towards sinners? So what we deserve is judgment. And folks, I'm just so thankful for Jesus. Aren't we thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ? That Jesus went to the cross bearing God's wrath against our sin, taking the full punishment, dying, rising from the dead victorious, so that sinners who turn to God in repentance and faith in Jesus, what they get is not judgment. Incredibly, what they get is mercy. Oh, I'm so thankful for the gospel. It's by the Lord's steadfast love He can remember us and act with mercy. Now, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I told you, pay attention to popular culture. And you're going to see in media and in other places, you're going to see this longing for the Savior. And that day I closed with an illustration about Superman and, and with that, this longing for the Savior, Jesus. Well, I've already mentioned this morning uh, the Mandalorian. So I'm going to bring it back up. And I told you they live according to a code. This is the way. This is the way. That's their code. And one thing is they don't take off their helmets in front of others. Well, the Mandalorian had taken off his helmet. And just the, the language within this scene is, is really interesting or should be for us. Taking off his helmet, I don't, know that he, I don't think he used the language of sin, but it was definitely a wrong according to their code. And he asks how he can be forgiven. Folks, that's biblical language. You see this, I mean, this is fictional, popular culture. It's a way to, a show to make money. That's what it is, right? But even in this, there's a longing for forgiveness that's expressed in that. Well, then the armor responds in, in such biblical language. He must seek atonement in the living waters of Mandalore. Now, just, just hear that redemption language that's within that scene. We were just in John 4 for a while. And we saw Jesus offer to the woman at the well living water, which is his salvation. And that term, that living water, is utilized even in that popular cultural show. But then there's the word atonement. Seek atonement. That is biblical language. Wayne Grudem says atonement is the work Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. It's doing something about our sin so that sinners can be made right with God. Do you see this longing for the Savior that is out there? This longing to be made right with God. This longing to be forgiven of sin. And folks, the more I think that we are aware of our sin and we experience the forgiveness Jesus brings, the greater humility it brings in our lives.
I don't, I don't think we work up humility. I, don't, I just don't think we stir it up in our lives. I think it comes from some realities. One reality, that God loves us, God sent His Son, God forgives our sin based on nothing we did but solely on the work of Christ, and we're in His family. David is humble in this psalm. Verse 9, he says it twice. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble His way. It is the humble that admit they're sinful. And a greater awareness of our sinfulness stirs up humility in us. Only those who are humble will seek the Lord's guidance. If we're not humble, we think we can do it on our own. If we're, hum- if we're not humble, if we're prideful, we think, I don't need Psalm 25, I can do whatever I want. David's situation is saying, I can't do it. I need the Lord to guide me. We are prideful. We lean on our own wisdom. We lean on our own power. We lean on our own understanding. The humble can walk with God because they're done with themselves. They're done with relying on self. Everything good in their lives, they know, comes from the Lord. So they fully rely on Christ. I think when we see our sin as tragic, Because we see the greatness of our God, the work of Christ, and our own sin. Well, we can contrast that with even the month we're in. If you've been on any type of media at all, you've likely seen that June is labeled Pride Month. Now just think about that in terms of what we're talking about. Pride Month. The LGBTQ plus agenda has attached to its movement the term pride. Now I want to be very clear that we must see the LGBTQ person as one that we should take the gospel to. As someone that we run to with the gospel not run away from. But we also must be very clear that that lifestyle is sinful. And anybody who walks in any sin, any sin, not just that sin, any sin pridefully is in rebellion against God. But here's the glorious news. If we repent of any sin and turn to Christ, His blood covers that sin as well. And even in this month, Lord, would you turn many who are pridefully celebrating sin this month Come to an end of that sin and rejoicing and celebrating. And may they humbly turn to you, to the only Savior, Jesus Christ, in faith and repentance. Folks, you don't hear these stories enough. But people do come out of that lifestyle. And they turn to faith in Christ. And they are saved. That's not going to be a popular message in Pride Month on social media. But people are being saved from that sin as well. And that's something we should rejoice in. Well, for the person who is repentant and seeks the Lord, God, Lord's guidance, we, we can have good news here. God does guide us. This is a prayer God loves to answer. Listen, I don't know what all you pray for. I don't know if you just pray for newer cars or bigger homes and, and those sorts of things. I'm not going to promise you those prayers are going to get answered. In fact, God does answer those prayers. A lot of times he answers with no. 
So God does answer those prayers. But the prayer that we can be confident that God is answering with a yes is if we humbly turn to him and say, God, lead me. God, guide me. I want you to see just in even verses 8 and 9, verse 12. I'm not going to read them all, but you get some verbs there. Pay attention to verbs when you're reading Scripture. We find there that the Lord instructs. He leads. He teaches. Oh, what a comfort it is that if we seek God's guidance... He gives it to us. And then I I just want us to be blown away, folks, with how God guides us. How He leads, how He teaches us. Specifically in verse 14. Now some of your texts, it may say the secret counsels of the Lord, the secret counsel, that's fine. My ESV says the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. The friendship of the Lord. Do you see this? How undeserving we are of God's friendship. Our sin made us enemies of God. We we made God our enemy. And yet in God's incredible grace, He offers to us friendship. We should just be blown away by the fact that the great God of the universe offers friendship to sinners who repent and turn to Him. So God leads us not in a detached, impersonal, well, well, here's the commands, y'all do them, I'm out of here. That's not how God leads us. I studied, I was doing my doctorate, studied some other world religions, and in so many of them, the purported gods in those systems are just impersonal. They're detached. Theravada Buddhism, it's atheistic, there's not even a god. You may know about Hinduism. It's got three million gods. Well, those are really invented as personal manifestations because they couldn't really live in that system where there is this impersonal force, this Brahman that's unrelatable, that people couldn't know. And and all all that's false. All, All of it is false religion. And truth matters more than attractiveness. But I want you to just see Christianity has both. We have truth, the one God. We see this in Christianity. But he's so it's so appealing to follow him. He offers friendship to us. And then just hear Jesus' words in John 15, verse 15. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Isn't that amazing? That verse 14, God offers friendship. And if you think about friendship, you know, there are different, we all have different friendships, right? You probably have some friendships that are more replenishing than draining. You might have some friendships that are more draining than replenishing. And those really sweet human friendships that we have are those that are mutually replenishing for both parties in the friendship. Well, think about friendship with God. It is, it's so unilateral because God doesn't need anything from us. Listen, God did not create humanity because God was lonely and he needed somebody to hang out with. God has perfect fellowship within himself. One God eternally existing in three persons and there is uninterrupted, perfect, fulfilled friendship 
and relationship in the members of the Trinity. So it's amazing that God offers friendship to us and it's solely by His grace. And of all the friendships that you might have, none could even come close to being as replenishing as the one with the God of the universe. In it, we're, giving reconcili- we're given reconciliation with God, eternal life, and listen, while you're on earth, His daily guidance, His leading in our lives. So another of the gifts that those who are led by the Lord receive. No shame. Now this is amazing because we all, we've all lived with shame, right? I think shame is the feeling that's produced when there is guilt. Guilt is this objective wrong that we are before God. We are guilty because we're sinners. Now it's amazing in our world we're trying to get rid of guilt and shame. I guess it's not that surprising because we live in a culture that's trying to dismiss the reality of sin and dismiss the reality of a holy God. But the truth is, there is a holy God who exists. We have sinned and done wrong against Him. Therefore, we are guilty. And that guilt leads to shame. I was, I was re- reading an article yesterday just in preparation for our annual meeting, Southern Baptists that are coming down to New Orleans. And one of the pastors there in this, this article, he was writing, and he said he's talking about New Orleans, and he said, There's no more sin here volume-wise than in Podunk, Alabama. It's just a lack of shame here. It's just more open here. So sin is more out in the open. He said it's, it's, it's just not as much shame here or lack of shame. But the reality is anytime we're guilty before God... There is a shame that's there. We may try to repress it. We may try to dismiss it. But that shame is there. But here is David. And David confidently expresses that none who wait for you, see this in verse 3, indeed none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be shamed who are wantonly treacherous. Those who continue in sin get shame, but the one who repents receives no shame. Why is this? Look at verse 18. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Forgiven sin leads to no shame. So I just want to say to you, if you came in this world uh, uh, this morning and you've been walking through this world carrying what feels like a thousand pound backpack of guilt and shame there is a way to be free of that just hear Romans 10 10 11 for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved for the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame friendship with God means he's taken away our guilt and by effect also our shame. And where there was shame, where there was guilt, there can now be peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, 
I would take that trade any day, right? Guilt and shame for peace with God? Absolutely. And that's what God offers to us in Christ. So I think when we see what David is writing here, God, turn to me and be gracious. Make known to me your ways. Teach me your paths. This is real world. David's saying, God, I don't know what to do in this specific situation. Things in my life are hard. We see in verses 16 through 22, lonely, afflicted, troubles, distresses, affliction, trouble, foes, violent hatred, troubles. Troubles three times. David is going through some things. He's saying, I don't know what to do in this situation. Make me know your paths. Make me know your ways. Teach me your paths. David found refuge in God. Well, how did it turn out then? How did David's situation end here? We don't know. So I said we don't know David's exact situation, and we don't know exactly how it turned out. But what do we find David doing? I think, I think there's a reason for this. I think we're the reason we didn't know this exact situation, and we're not specifically told how it ended here. And I think the focus is on keep trusting the Lord. Keep seeking His guidance. We see there often that David is waiting for the Lord. Verse 3, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Verse 5, for you I wait all the day long. Verse 21, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. We sang that song this morning, I will wait for you. We did it because it's three times in this song. Here's David going through having enemies. He's going through affliction. He's going through trouble. He's going through loneliness. And what is the answer for him? Wait for the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Believer, I think this is a good place for us to live. This, this is not a theoretical type of trust. It's not a theoretical song. This is David living in the real world where there's challenge, where he's hurting. But he says, God, I trust in you. I'm waiting for you. And I think that's just a good way for the follower of Jesus to live. God, this enemy, see, or, or this world sees me as an enemy because I believe salvation is only in Christ. God, this world sees me as an enemy because we're holding to biblical positions and biblical values. God, I need to keep trusting in you and waiting for you. God, in my own personal life, I'm dealing with some hard things. What should I do? Keep waiting on the Lord. Keep trusting in the Lord. So I just invite you to do that. In, in the spirit of this psalm, keep trusting. Keep asking God to lead. Keep waiting on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, a, for an opportunity to study Psalm 25. Thank you for including this psalm in your word. Thank you that this, this is not life is rosy, everything is good. But even in the midst of great challenge, great hardship, David found you to be his refuge. He kept trusting and kept waiting. And God, I know, I don't know the situation that every person is going through in every pew this morning. But it would be naive to think there's not significant challenge in so many lives. 
And maybe people just came in saying, how do I make another day? And the answer is, trust in the Lord. Wait for the Lord. And I pray that the Spirit of God would use His Word to encourage His people today. And Lord, for the person who maybe is carrying that thousand-pound weight of shame from their sin, oh God, I pray that today by turning to Jesus Christ in faith, they would experience for the first time ever peace with God. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.